0: Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter five, I've entitled the morning's message, The Bride of Christ. The great thing about about the scriptures is eventually you touch on every issue. Um, one of the guys uh, at Men's Prayer on Sunday morning, he says, are you gonna get up and, and, and um, talk about um, um, the political race, the candidates, and so on and so forth this Sunday. And I said, no, um, but let me explain why. I said, because we have uh, the discipline of teaching chapter by chapter and verse by verse. This does not deal with political issues. This deals with the issue of a Christian marriage, a husband and a wife. It deals with the issue of this being a mystery with the... um, the wedding feast between the church and Jesus himself. And then at the end, we're also going to talk about um, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we have some very interesting Old Testament pictures of it. I've discovered some things um, that I hadn't recognized before. Part of our study is going to be debatable. I can't think of a more politically uncorrect Bible study to give (laughs) in the light of um, the way our country is moving today because we have absolutes here and um, they go contrary to what the world we're living in is right now. And with that being said Paul already read for us the first 18 verses through uh, 33 I'm just gonna read uh, and comment on verses 18 to 21 for right now, where it says, do not be drunk with wine, which is in dispensation, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, um, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ and then submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. I'm gonna, uh, I'm reading this for a couple reasons. He's basically talking to these believers that are learning about leaving the old ways and what it's like becoming a born again Christian. So evidently they were bar hopping and getting drunk all the time and in verse 18 And he said, you're going to go from that, and now that you're this new creation, and God has forgiven you of all this stuff, it naturally produces a thankfulness. And then when you get together, sing about it. I've been justified. (laughs) And it's a great song, one of my favorite ones. And uh, giving thanks always to the Lord. The idea is going from one lifestyle to a whole completely new one. And uh, you got to go back to when you were first saved. And um, you learned a, a lot of things that needed to pass away. And a lot of things needed to become new. This morning, we'll look at two marriages between a Christian couple. And then the marriage of the Lord to the church. And then the marriage supper of the Lamb. And how all of these are intertwined. The first couple of verses, 18 to 22, deals with Paul's teaching, the new believers in Ephesus. From not, like I said earlier, getting drunk to now fellowship and learning how to submit one to another. Now I want to emphasize the word submit because as it gets into verses 22 to 24, we begin with the wife and we read wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife and as Christ is the head of the body he's the savior of the body therefore just as the church is subject to Christ so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything so Let's begin with the wife here in these verses. Whenever I do a wedding, um, I tell the bride and groom, well, you know, basically, you're each given just one command from the Lord. And one for the bride and one for the groom. For the wife, the one command is to uh, submit to her husband. And then I'll just take a little time and just look at her and talk to her and explain what this means. And usually it goes something like this. Remember what it was like before you were saved. You pretty much did what you want. When, 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 if you wanted to go somewhere, you just did it, you didn't ask permission. And you you were an adult and old and you did what you wanted to do. But then you got saved. And when you got saved... All of a sudden, you're reading scriptures like um, uh, Proverbs 3.16, in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. So instead of just taking it upon yourself, I think I'll do this, I think I'll do that. No, now you say, Lord, can I do this and can I do that? And you're actually putting yourself in a position where you're no longer in charge. We call him Lord for a reason. I think we were in men's prayer reading about Peter yesterday and I think one of the funniest scriptures uh, in, the, in the Bible is um, um, Peter uh, the Lord is explaining he's going to Jerusalem he's going to die and Peter says not so Lord that's what you call an oxymoron <laughs> not so Lord and the Lord took him aside and rebuked him and he said get behind me Satan you're, you're only thinking about the things of men, not the things of God. So he corrected and put Peter in his place. And I'll look at the bride, and I said, this is what it's like. This is what your commitments and your vows and your pledges are all about. When you became a Christian, it says, submit yourself um, in the same way. Therefore, as a the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. There's a direct correlation you changed when you became a Christian, and now you're becoming one, so you can't have two heads. Sometimes you'll see a picture of some animal with two heads or whatever, but basically they could only be um, one head, and um, the husband um, is definitely qualifies, and I tell her now that you're getting married, you're becoming one flesh and um, to take a look at this order that God has established, I want you to turn to First Corinthians chapter eleven, where there's an order that's given here that verifies what we just read in Ephesians. Let's pick it up in verse one, first nine verses. <clears throat> Excuse me. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head for that is one of the same as her head as if it has been shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if she, it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is in the image of the glory of God, but the woman is in the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman is from man. We're going to go back to Genesis and look at it more detail. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority of her head uh, because of the angels. And um, so here, basically, it's laying out something, and I need to, before I go any farther... I need to get something perfectly clear. So um, I'm also gonna, before I go there, I'm gonna quote First Timothy 2, 9 through 15, which just gets into um, the order. If you're taking notes, it's First Timothy 2, verses 9 through 15, um, talking about the woman, in like manner also that the woman adorned themself in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, gold, or pearls, or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness and good works. Let the woman learn in silence and with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be silent. Let me just pause right here uh, about teaching and women teaching. Well, Mary comes up here all the time and does prophecy updates. Um, Donna and Rathke and Ruth Christian both give Bible studies and they're teaching, but they're teaching other women, and that's the difference. And then he gives the reason. He says, For Adam was formed first, and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. This is gonna be an important part of our study. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she'll be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Oh, Dwight, I I thought we were all about equality now with men and women and society, so on and so forth. This is where the Bible study gets dicey because that's not what the Bible teaches. Yeah, but that's what Pastor Dwight said, stop. (laughs) That's what the word of God says. So, lest we be misunderstood here, I need to have you turn to the book of Galatians, chapter three, I'll give you a second to get there, and look at verses 26 through 29. And I want to make the point, it's not stating that man is better than woman. And he makes that very, very clear here. But we're talking about more of an order that God has set in place so that there can be order. I liken it somewhat to being in the army. And you're in a platoon. And you have a a lieutenant over you or a colonel over you. But you don't, if you're in one unit, you don't have two colonels, you have one colonel. And then you have, um, if you want to call it a hierarchy, And it's there for one reason, to maintain order and um, to follow those orders. But if you had no head or no colonel or somebody in that position, you'd have all these guys doing whatever they want to whenever they wanted to. So if you're there in Galatians chapter three, verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, So now, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave or free. There is either, here it is, male or female. In other words, you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's not a matter of one being superior, I think would be a good word, over the other person. It's simply a matter of order. And uh, the bottom line is, male and female, slave and free, Jew or Greek, we're one. We're all one in the Lord. I'm not better than you, you're not better than me. Yet in the church, we have elders and deacons and people over ministries for the sake of order. Dave and Judy Glaze are a good example. You know, they pretty much oversee, which frees me up a whole lot, um, uh, with the matters that are taking place in Haiti and we put people in these positions that other people will look to them for, hey, what's going on, Dunner? Can you give me an update? They don't come to me. I have them go to Dave or Judy and have them talk. And having said that, I call Bastia on a regular basis, and we have our own one-on-one, and Bastia will call me from time to time just for, we got this going on, can you, what would you do if you were in a situation? because he considers me his, his pastor, because basically he's out of Calvary Chapel of Appleton. So here, um, with that being said, that it's not a matter of being one better than the other, let's go back to Genesis, and we're looking at chapter two, for starters, and we're talking about, it's. we just read that um, Adam was made first. And so we read in verse um, 20, so Adam has just got done giving name to the animals, birds of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs And closed up the flesh of the place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam looked at the woman and said, Praise the Lord. (laughs) Uh, I just added that. But I think that's what he was thinking. (laughs) This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she shall shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Sometimes people have the idea that, you know, Adam and Eve were made out of the dust of the earth. No. Adam was made out of the dust of the earth first. And Eve was made from the rib of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. We end and begin a lot of marriages this way. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother be and joined to his flesh, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. They walked in the cool of the day and had fellowship with the Lord. And um, um, then something happened um, in chapter 3 where we find, and uh, I'll have to clarify a couple things here as we go through it, but we have uh, Satan entering the scene for the first time. So in chapter three, verse one, it says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, has God indeed said? Now this is always his tactic. He's challenging the very book that you're reading. No matter what society is saying or doing, God's word said says here, he said to the woman, we're going to come back to this in verse 17 because if you just read that by itself, you get the idea, Adam's not there. And Adam isn't getting this direction. But if you look at verse 17, I'm going to come back and read it to you again. This was Adam's judgment. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat thereof. What's your point, Dwight? Adam heard just like if you only read verse 1 of Genesis 3, you think he's only speaking to the woman. That's not the case. And verse 17 clarifies they both understood what was going on here. And it goes on to say that the um, woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. The Lord never said that, by the way. She added that, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good from evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eye, and a desirable tree to make one wise, she took and ate of the fruit. I am just gonna stop right there and say that Satan does not and has not ever changed his tactics. His method of operation it's pretty much always the same. Did not Jesus refer to him as the father of lies? Yep. And so what we have here, I'm quoting 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here they are, The lust of the flesh, ooh, she looked at that food and that looked good, and she lusted after it. The lust of the eyes was pleasant to the eyes to look at. And the pride of life, well, this could make you wise and actually be like God, Uh, Satan said, if you do that. And there you have it, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it is not of the Father, but it's of this world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Um, one of the verses that a couple of the guys com- commented on uh, yesterday is that um, was just that, that we're just passing through. The things we have now, what does it profit a man? One of the guys said he's even got this right in front of his door. What does it profit a man if he would gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What can you take with you? Answer nothing. Nothing. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that's the mentality we're to have. Does mean we don't work. Matter of fact, it says if you don't work, you don't eat. A lot of young people are still trying to figure that one out today. <laughs> and, um, but with that, let's go back to, keep your finger here because we're we'll going to be coming back to these verses. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5. And we read here, the one command for the woman is to submit. Why? Because Adam was first. And uh, Eve was made for Adam Adam was not made for Eve. And um, in that sense, they are not co-equals, but in Galatians, it says they're one. Um, Neither male nor female, slave or free. So again, it's not the idea that one is better than the other. It's the order that God has established in marriage. Now, um, one command Verse uh, 20 for the, for the wife. Uh, now for the husband. We read in verses 25 through 29. Husband, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and he gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Boy, we could get sidetracked here. How do we get cleaned up and washed up after we get our feet dirty during the week? Um, By coming and having a Bible study, taking communion. As Paul read this morning, let a man examine himself. And then after you examine yourself, then partake of communion. And know that um, every day is a new day with the Lord. The mercies of the Lord are new when? Every single day you get to get up with a sleen plate that he might sanctify it and cleanse it. How do you get cleansed? By doing what you're doing right now. We're having a Bible study. On what? Marriage. Who? Husband and wives, Christians. Who else? Christ in the church. And then this wedding banquet. That he might, uh, and we continually need to be washed, that's why we continually have communion and continually confess our sins to one another and to the Lord. Why? That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, uh, just as the Lord does the church. So when I'm done um, talking in a wedding, and I'm addressing now the man, and I said, here's the one command that the Lord is telling me to do. You are to love your wife just the way Jesus loved the church. And then I tell him, you realize that's impossible, don't you? <laughs> and he agrees with me, and I says, but... God's commandments, we have a saying in Calvary, are his enablements. Yes, it's impossible. I don't believe, unless you're born again, you can fulfill these wedding vows. I believe you must have Jesus living in you, therefore it is possible to love as Jesus loved because he is loving through you to her. That's why it says walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So I tell the man, you realize this is impossible. he goes, yeah, I know. And I said, that's why you have to be born again. Um, The Bible says in John 3.16, the one we all know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves you. He calls you the bride of Christ. He's your groom. And uh, John fifteen thirteen says, "Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend." In this case, his wife. Guys, um, you um, practical study, especially in the days with with in um, uh, we're living. Um, Let's go on to, I want to look at verse 31 here. For we are all members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to the wife, and the two will become one flesh. Um, Marriage, male and female. That's what we have here. Leaving mom and dad, and the man marrying the woman, male and female. Not male today, but tomorrow I think I want to be a woman. That's what's going on right now. One of the guys in men's prayer yesterday, he said to him and his wife, do this on an annual basis, go out for supper, take it to a high school play. I remember going to him, I remember Camelot for some reason. That one stuck out. And um, still have good memories of it. And they've been doing this for years, but they went to this particular um, play at school. And um, just into the play just a little bit, this brother shared, all of a sudden he felt he was being indoctrinated what was being presented in the play. He was being indoctrinated and tried to be talked into the LGBT transgender movement. And he said he wanted to get up and walk out. He didn't know what to do. He realized this was an indoctrination. It was not a play. It was trying to get people to change their way they think. And it's being presented in high school plays. And that's Part of the new agenda that's out there. It's not just the LGBT, T for Transgender, but in California they just added an X at the end of that. The X stands for being okay to be married and be a pedophile. That's what's being passed right now in California. That's what the X is being added onto. And that is what subtly is being put and pushed into our society today. And to have a Bible study like this being presented in a public school, well, you know, you gals are really not in first place here. <laughs> You're submissive to your husbands. You know how politically correct that is, what I just said? And how much turmoil and how much anger and would be adopted as time goes on it's only going to get worse and worse and you I want to encourage you to stand your ground and um, tell them. listen this isn't my opinion this isn't what I think but I'm one of those guys that actually believes God's word and if you've got enough time I'll prove it to you through Bible prophecy or whatever but this is what God's word says about marriage and um, I believe it and therefore no matter what I feel or even if it offends you if I say otherwise, I really don't care. Don't, t- don't take it personal that I don't care, but I do care what God thinks about what I say because I have to give an account to what I say someday to him, and I don't want to back down from what the popular mode is in our culture today. I want to stand before the Lord and said, well, this is one of our safety guards, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. It means what it says and says what it means. And we take it from there. So, Curtis Bauer is the one where um, Judy was telling me about this this morning. I added that to my notes this morning. Because Curtis Bauer was talking about it last night, this X being added for California now pushing this pedophile amendment through. In verse 32, just when you think you're sitting there going... I got it, Dwight. Husbands, love your wives, got it. Wives, submit to your husbands, got it. And you think, okay, I got the Bible study. Go home now. No, you can't. <laughs> because the next thing it says is, this is a great mystery. What's a great mystery? Everything that he's just taught so far. But I speak concerning Christ in the church. Well, wait a second. What are we talking about here? Husband and wives' marriages? Yeah, we are. But that's just part of it. The mystery part of it is he's saying, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. In other words, it's a model of what is going to be. And I'm gonna get a little sidetracked here. In verse 32, just when you think you, you got it, Paul comes and says, no, this is, this is a mystery. What he's really talking about is Jesus and his marriage to the church. With that, calling it a mystery, I'd like you to turn to the book of Romans, chapter 5. And in Romans, chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, that would be Adam, and death through sin. And thus, death spread to all men because all sinned. There's something more contagious and deadly than COVID. You know what it's called? Sin. And you inherited it whether you liked it or not. Dylan's got a great song in one of of his Christian albums. Born already ruined. Born already ruined. Born in a sin, you were born a sinner. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. And then it says this about Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. If you go on and read here, the reference is to Jesus Christ. And through one man's death, sin entered the world. So through one man's other death, a gift is given. Um, you can be, well, there it is in verse 18, justified. Resulting in justification of life, this free gift. But here he's calling Adam as a type of Christ. Well, my question is, how is Adam a type of Christ? Remember I told you we were going back to Genesis? Back to Genesis chapter 3 now. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. We've already read this, but we're going to take a little bit different slant on it. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food that it was pleasant to the eye and, and, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and so she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now what's not told, was Adam right there watching all this happen? I think not. And I'll tell you why in a second. I think she took the fruit and presented it to him, partaken of it. And then the eyes of both of them, after he ate, were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig trees together, fig leaves. Trees would be awful tough to do. (laughs) (laughs) And they made themselves covering. Put yourself in Adam's sandals. Uh, They were naked, it said, but they were not ashamed. That's what we read before the fall. I personally believe they were clothed with the glory of God and that um, um, a Shekinah glory that covered them both, but they were still naked. But I think after Eve ate, she died. And the day that you eat of it, you're gonna die. So here comes Eve walking up to Adam and Adam looks at Eve and he's thinking, what in the world happened to you? And as he's observing this and he's thinking about it, um, we read here that he did know. Let's go to verse 17. Then Adam said, this is his punishment for eating of the fruit that his wife gave him. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. He knew he wasn't supposed to eat of it but he did anyway. The question is, why did he? He could look at Eve and see what the results are going to be. She's going to die. She ate of the fruit of the tree of life. So how is Adam a type of Christ? Well, just like Jesus died for the church, his bride, I believe so Adam died to be with Eve. You die, I die. I believe he loved her. And uh, I don't think he could bear the fact of not being without her. So if it means me partaking of this, then so be it, that's what I'm gonna do. But I'm gonna be with you. They did not physically die. But uh, they brought sin into the world. Oh yes, they eventually died Adam eventually died 900 and something. I forget what it was, 936 years old or something like that. There was longevity of life at that time. So according to Romans chapter five, Adam is a type of Jesus according to Romans. That's why it says in Ephesians, this is a great mystery, but I speak of Christ and the church. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He died. Why? Because he loves you. That's John three sixteen. And uh, he was fully God at the time and fully man. Now, the fact, some of the facts of the marriage that we're going to be looking into of the Lamb. Um, many passages in the word of God teach that the most fantastic and wonderful wedding of all times is yet to take place in the universe. This marriage is described through the parables of Jesus. In Luke 12 it says, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning and you yourselves liken unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. The idea that he's returning from the wedding is important here. Then in Matthew 22, verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And this one is controversial, and I'll explain the controversy in more detail when I get to it. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins which took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Matthew 25, I'll be coming back to that one. Um, The marriage is described through the vision of John. We'll be closing the study this morning with this. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and her wife has made herself ready. Revelation uh, 19 verse 7. Uh, The host of the marriage The New Testament very clearly presents the Father as the divine host who gives this marriage. He is pictured as preparing it, then sending his servants out to invite selected guests. Now, as we look at um, these scriptures, let me see if I got uh, my comments somewhere else. On 25, I do have it here. I'm going to be quoting a couple different people and have you turn to Matthew 25 and let you know that it's controversial. The parable of the virgins. So in the parable of the virgins, we have, how can I start this out correctly? And use use a couple heavy hitters here for examples. My good, I have two good friends, one's with the Lord and one's, one was, is usually with us, Dr. Tommy Ice. He's a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. Verses 24 and 25 we call the Olivet Discourse. And it ends in chapter 26 where it says that it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. What sayings? All of what Matthew 24 was about and all of what 25 was about. So after he had, that's called the Olivet Discourse, after he had got done, he goes on to say he changes the subject, now you know that after two days is the Passover, and instead a man will be delivered up to be crucified. So we have, um, let me use Tommy Ice for an example, first of all, as he reads this and his understanding of it, <coughs> is the kingdom of heaven is like it unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Well, um, uh, one of the basic doctrines of Dallas Theological Seminary, which he is a graduate of, um, claimed that the rapture is nowhere to be found in the Olivet Discourse. And he's um, adamant about it. And yet, Dave Hunt takes just the opposite view that the rapture absolutely is in Matthew 24 and 25. For years, I went every year for maybe 20 years straight with my good friend Joe Bell from Calvary Chapel, Lafayette. And my favorite teaching was Dave Hunt. These are all theologians. They all have the notes. They know exactly what's going to be said during their theological presentation. I should mention that the pre-trib conference has been going on for 30 years. And um, the reason they started it is people were drifting away from the tree trib and falling off into mid-trib, post-trib, and so they felt it necessary to have a special conference once a year in Dallas. And um, I went and still go. I told them if we're still here, I'd like to go this, uh, this December. So Dave Hunt was invited. And uh, his Bible study is why the rapture is in the Olivet Discourse. And you could hear a pin drop. And um, you can still get it to this day. And I remember Dave getting up and saying, I feel like I'm Daniel and I just got thrown into the lion's den. (laughs) Because every person there, if you're a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, the rapture is not in all of a discourse. Why are you bringing this all up, Dwight? Because this is where the controversy comes in. I'll tell you my position on it when I'm done. Um, But... Here, let's just read it. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. I believe that oil is a symbol of being saved and filled with the spirit. But the wise took no oil with their vessels and with their lamps, But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, behold the bridegroom was coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil and our lamps are going out. But the wise answered said, no, lest uh, there should not be enough for us and you, but go yourself, to those who sell and buy for yourselves, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. Now, the the question that's in view here, um, from Tommy's perspective, is that they are now being invited to the wedding. The wedding has already taken place. So now they're guests being invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. There's a wedding that takes place in heaven and now the Lord is returning and they're being invited where the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place on earth. I'll get to that more in a minute. Um, Dave Hunt doesn't see it that way. He sees the wise here and those that are waiting as a picture of the rapture. And when the Lord comes, they're taken out at that time and the ones who are unsaved are left behind. Is everybody tracking with me? These are two very different trains of thought. And um, I'm not here to stir up trouble or <laughs> make, um, you might have very strong convictions on this. And I just want you to know that there are two very, by very gifted men who love God and uh, have great gifts. I think Tommy Ice and Arnold Fuchenbaum are some of the leading theologians in the world today. And Pastor Chuck has gone as far to call Dave Hunt a modern-day prophet. And um, I respect and love and knew both of these men very, very well. And I don't love Tommy any less because he holds this view. And I don't hold, Dave's in heaven now, and I don't hold David um, in any less esteem because uh, he believes that this is a picture of, of the rapture as it would be in um, Matthew 24, where it talks about two will be grinding at the mill, one shall be taken, and the other one left. Well, there's two different viewpoints there. One says, uh, well, the one being taken is being taken to judgment. Well, I don't believe that. I believe the one being taken is um, um, taken at the rapture of the church. And here's what's funny about this. Tommy could get mad at me for telling this story his favorite song by Larry Norman is I Wish We'd All Been Ready, and he quotes Matthew 24 verse by verse. So that's his favorite song, and I like to rib him about it. And I said, uh, you don't believe any of this, and yet your favorite song is I Wish We'd All Been Ready? <laughs> all right, I hope he's not watching. <laughs> Somebody's thinking, I'm gonna call them and tell them, send them today's message. Just remember, I always get to come up here and I have the mic last, just so you know. So, in fact of the marriage, this is a controversial one. Uh, The marriage is described through the vision of John. Uh, We'll we'll be looking at this in closing this morning. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife has made herself ready. uh, Revelation 17. Um, The host of the marriage, again we've talked this very clearly. Um, the, The father himself who gives the marriage, he is pictured as preparing it, then sending his servants out to invite selected guests to the wedding. Now the bridegroom of the marriage, the father's Beloved son. In other words, Jesus is the bridegroom. The Lord Jesus is the bridegroom. This is what John the Baptist had to say about it. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. You yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him that he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Um, he is not a part of, of uh, the church. He's, not, he's, a, he's a friend of the bridegroom, not the bride of the bridegroom. The Lord would tell us in the verses that we're reading in Ephesians, I came to call all to repentance. I came not to call all to repentance, but sinners to repentance. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? They eat and drink. And he said to them, can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the day will come when the bridegroom shall be with them. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Uh, the, The bride of the marriage, we're clearly told in two verses primarily, um, the Apostle Paul makes it uh, clearer, the identity of the bride, in Ephesians chapter 5. And wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother. They shall be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. Again, here, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The other verse is Colossians eleven, two, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband. There were three steps in a Jewish marriage. And the first part was uh, the betrothal and um, then the wedding itself and then the celebration afterwards. It sort of had three stages to it. Um, but here in Colossians, I have espoused you or betrothed you to one husband, that I might present you as chaste virgins to Christ. The guests of the marriage, and he said unto me, verse of Revelation nineteen nine. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Called? Well, indicates that the marriage is taking place and now just as you would invite friends that didn't attend the wedding, they're still welcome to come to the wedding feast. And uh, the question is, who are these invited guests of the Lamb's marriage to the church? Well, in general, a group which would include all believing Gentiles who were converted, Now, catch this, prior to Pentecost and after the rapture so that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and then it goes on again with this controversy a group which would include all saved Israelis everywhere the 10 virgins here it is again mentioned in Matthew 25 claims are Israelites the five wise represent saved Israelites and the five foolish represent the unsaved so you know what side of the argument this one's on They cannot represent the church, for the church is the bride, is inside with the bridegroom. The virgins are guests who have been invited to the wedding. Note that a bride is never invited to her own wedding. If she refuses to come, then there's no uh, wedding. Okay, a couple closing thoughts on this parable, and uh, we'll start to wind this thing up here. I said, start. This is from J. Vernon McGee. I'm quoting J. Vernon right here. He says, it's my understanding that although the marriage of Christ and the church takes place in heaven, the marriage supper takes place on the earth. A passage in the gospel of Luke substantiates this, as our Lord is giving warning and parables, he says, let your loins be girded about and your light burning, and you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. Then when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. That's Luke 12. You see, the wedding has taken place and the bride is with him. Obviously, he is coming from the wedding and the bride is with him. No man ever went on a honeymoon by himself. <laughs> if he did, he's lonely. <laughs> um, Jay Vernon says if he did, it wasn't a honeymoon. So here in the parable of the ten virgins, Christ Pictured as the bridegroom is bringing the bride with him and the believer on the earth are waiting for him to come. So now you know position J. Vernon's on. With the great tribulation has just been going on upon the earth, Christ has been yonder in heaven with his bride, the church. Then at the conclusion of the seven years of the tribulation, he comes back to earth with the church. I will close with this. Revelation chapter 19, so let's make our way there. Revelation 19, picking it up in verse seven. A marriage is one thing, the marriage supper is a separate thing. Verse seven says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. So there are people that are being called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to them, these are the true sayings of, of God and as this is being dictated to John by an angel it says in verse 10 and I fell at the feet to worship him but he said to me see that you don't do that I'm your fellow servant and your brother who have the testimony of Jesus worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy the marriage supper of the Lamb is separate from the marriage itself. The time of the marriage. When does the wedding transpire? In view of what has already been said, it would seem the wedding service will be privately conducted in heaven, perhaps shortly after the bema seat of Christ. The wedding celebration stage will be publicly conducted on earth shortly after the second coming of Christ. And I like how he ends this. It is no accident that the Bible describes the millennium as occurring right after the celebration supper has begun. In other words, the supper is described in Revelation 19 while the millennium is described in Revelation 20. In other words, you got a thousand-year honeymoon. How does that sound to you in light of all the stuff that's going on in the world today? You girls all know what it's like looking forward to your wedding day. You're planning for it, you're thinking about it all the time, the dress, the trimmings, who gets invited, who doesn't. You're obsessed with the thought of it. Um, The husband is obsessed too, but he's got other things on his mind. And I'll just leave that right where it is. <laughs> and we'll just call it the consummation of the wedding that makes them one. And this was something that was watched in the, uh, in the Old Testament times to make sure that the wedding was consummated, and that they were indeed in a Jewish wedding. Um, it was bec- behind curtains and everything, but nonetheless it needed to be assigned sealed and delivered. Um, message my friends with all the stuff that's going on in the world today we need biblical teaching on what is marriage and what does god's word have to say about it and it can only be accomplished if you are born again you can only um, be dogmatic about this if you're born again because then you can actually tell people i'm not giving my opinion This is what God's word has to say. What you're playing out right now, I asked the Lord about this if he wanted me to say it to remind me. And he's reminding me right now. He gave it to me in the prayer room. And uh, the Pharisees came to Jesus one day, the Pharisees or the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. So they wanted to trick him with a trick question about the resurrection the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. That is supposed to be a joke, okay? One I've told for many, many years. So the trick question was, well, you know, we know this guy, and he had a wife, and he died. So his brother married her, and then he died. And then another brother married him, and then he died. And... By the time it was all said and done, she'd been married to seven different guys. Their question was, because they wanted to trap them with the, the question about marriage. And that question was, in heaven whose wife will she be? So that was the trick question. And the Lord said this to him, Um, You err. You don't know the scriptures, number one, and you don't know the power of God, number two. Because in heaven, there is no marriage, but you'll be like the angels. So for those of you who are going, oh honey, we're not gonna be married in heaven? (laughs) You'll get over it. (laughs) You'll get to to see each other, don't worry about it. But the answer to that, I'm glad they tried to trick him with the question. Because in heaven, there is no marriage to the person you're married to now. Oh, this is a great mystery. Christian marriage. But my bridegroom is called Jesus Christ, and I'm the bride, and he's gonna be my husband forever and ever and ever. And he laid down his life for me. And so with all this going on in the world today, don't be afraid to stand up and say that... Um, Uh, what's happening in our country and the moral decay in our country today is for one reason and one reason only. We've gotten away from the absolute authority and inerrancy of the word of God. I don't think I've asked for an amen yet today. And this is what we have to stand on. People don't want your opinion. Uh, People will tell you how they feel. Well, today I feel like a boy, but tomorrow I might feel like a girl. And you tell them, do you know how stupid that is? you know how dumb that sounds? I told the story about the weightlifter, did I? No? Yes, no? Oh, it's about the weightlifter who is a... Um, he's... It gets into what the globalists are trying to do with the de- depopulation of the world right now. And uh, he's, he said he took the jab. And... Um, I, I literally see it as a um, a biological weapon. And um, the numbers that are being suppressed, I don't know how many guys in men's prayer commented on people that they know personally that have taken their lives over the last week. And it's simply not being reported, and you're not going to hear any of this on, on the news. But it's out there, and it's happening. So this guy's getting ready to compete. And... Um, His agenda is to try to get as many people as he can to take the jab. and um, With much pride and arrogance, he looked around and he says, all right, here's the deal. I took the jab and I'm gonna get ready to compete in my contest right now. If I fall over and die, you're right. But if you fall over and die, I'm right. He turns around to compete, he bends over to pick up the bar, and he dies on the spot right then and there. You can Google that and just just, uh, look for that. Why do you bring it up? One of the things that the men talked about in men's prayer is how many people they know that are becoming unraveled because of the pressure of losing their jobs or being told a lie they've pretty much come out and you know that they're apologizing now for not telling the truth about the jab there's too many whistleblowers now and by the time if we're still here next week it's going to be even more exposed and it's not accomplishing what they were hoping it would as far as causing a crisis to make you fearful about all things. Bible studies like this morning are meant to do just the opposite. And as we read here, instead of all the pressure that you're gonna walk out into a world that's full of all this stuff, instead of that, try speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for the things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting ourselves to one another. You can cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. You see, he's your husband, and there's a wedding coming, and I can't wait for the honeymoon, amen? amen. Let's stand up and we'll close the prayer. Lord, thank you for your word this morning, and we're grateful that you do deal with every subject, every issue, uh, in life, in this case, um, an earthly marriage and a marriage that's coming and a honeymoon and then a wedding supper, Lord, and that we're gonna be with you forever and ever and ever. So go before the rest of our day. Lord, make us instruments of your peace to people uh, that have no hope right now. Thank you that um, at the end of First Corinthians 13, there are three things that remain, that we have faith, that we have hope, and that we have your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.